don't know if everybody filters in from getting donuts downstairs. <laughs> Let's go ahead and open in prayer before we get started, and uh, and we'll move on. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just another opportunity to come and to worship you. We ask that you bless your word today, and that everything done here would just increase our faith and, and, and ultimately glorify you. We just pray your blessing now in our class time, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, one of the, the thing I wanted to talk about today was apologetics, and uh, Dave, if you want to hand out one of these papers to everybody. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've been studying the last oh, quite a few years is apologetics, and some people usually are a little bit confused by that word, but really when you look it up, I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary, and it literally just says a defense of Christianity. That's what it means. And... Um, one of the things that's been kind of frustrating for me, which I, maybe, maybe it's the case with everybody, over when I first started really trying to study the Bible a little bit more in depth, is when I would run across those portions of Scripture that seemed to be pretty difficult or seemed to be apparent contradictions of other sections of Scripture. I say apparent because I don't believe there are any contradictions, but sometimes when we're reading it, it seems like there are because some of the things are are not that easy to understand. So I began to do a lot of research, uh, and I uh, got some books and looked at different materials. And uh, for instance, one of the books that I, that I received was uh, actually titled Things Hard to Be Understood, which is a direct quotation from 2 Peter 3.16, in which where Peter is stating that some of Paul's writings are difficult to understand. And I could certainly con concur with that. And, uh, but then I started looking out on, on the internet, and um, I found that very interesting. And I don't, I don't consider the information on the internet any more or less reliable than anything that we would read in a book. Um, it has always been the case that, you know, if I'm reading a book other than the Bible, I'm going to scrutinize everything that is written in that book. And, if the, and, and a lot of times I get very discouraged because if I'm reading a book, and somebody doesn't back up their claims or their assertions with Scripture, well, then I get very discouraged, and a lot of times I, I may not even want to continue reading that book, because if they're just speculating with a lot of conjecture, then I'm not really interested in that. Well, the same thing's true of whatever you can get on the Internet. If, if, if you go out to the Internet and you find a lot of good biblical arguments and they're supported by Scripture, like I said, there's no reason that they're any more or less reliable than things you would read in a book. So I found the... Uh, the internet to be a very helpful source of information. There's a particular website called the Apologetics Press that, I mean, is very good. You, you, you couldn't find anything on that website that they're trying to convince you of, that they're not going to give you a scripture verse to back up the claims that they're making. And what I've done is I've given you a, a, an abbreviated Bible chronology and uh, I'll give a disclaimer right away. If you look at the back and you look down after the year 2004, there, there's a question mark in there, and some people are, are throwing the idea around that, that uh, there's a, a certain amount of time that's going to, when the rapture is going to take place. Well, you notice I didn't put my name on this because I don't want to be labeled a date setter. I'm just simply giving you that so that you know that that's, that's an idea that's floating around. The same thing is true if you look at the 
If you look at this chronology and you notice the very first year, you see the year 3967 BC. And if you look at the very last year, which would be 3033, there, there's, a, there's a, uh, a widely held belief among some that, that 7,000 years completes the picture here on earth. And certainly there's no Bible verse that you could go to that would, that would you know, make conclusive evidence of that. But that, that is something that, that uh, people believe. And, and you'll notice there where I have that question mark, I put Hosea 6, 1 and 2 there in parentheses. Because that's really where, where people really base their argument on the fact that, uh, that Christ will return. The second coming will take place 2,000 years after the death of Christ. The other thing I want to draw your attention to on this chronology is that from 3,967 to 33 A.D. is 4,000 years exactly. And you may think that sounds a little absurd, but I really believe, I mean, that this chronology is ex extremely accurate. I mean, down to the exact year, just about. I mean, if you, if you study this, I think you could come to the same conclusion, because what you have here is something for which every, every line on this chronology, or, or nearly every line on this chronology, is supported by a verse of Scripture. And so this is not speculation, this is not hearsay or, or someone's idea. This is something that you can go to your Bible and look up all of these verses and see if you, if you agree with these things or not. And if you find something on this chronology that seems to be way off or way out there that you don't agree with, I would, I would be interested in knowing because I have looked at all of these scriptures, I have looked at this chronology, and I think it is extremely accurate. It's, to me, it's, it's, it's amazingly accurate. Uh, the Bible is, is not only our spiritual guide, but it is, it's amazing how accurate it is historically. We would believe that it's, it's completely accurate. It's 100% accurate. And I, clearly it's the most accurate historical book that we have, I mean, that, that has ever been written. It's, it was uh, come directly from God. So what, one of the things that I want to look at with regard to apologetics is because apologetics is, again, a defense of, the, you know, of Christianity, is that when people raise questions about things that seem to be apparent contradictions, how can we respond, or how can we be confident that what we believe is truly the case? And uh, I want to look at two of those areas in particular today. Number one, the age of the earth, and then, and then number two would kind of be uh, uh, looking into that a little bit deeper. But... Um, you know, a long time ago, there's been this uh, an attempt by several. I mean, Schofield's one, and, and Vernon McGee, and many others to insert a lot of years in between Genesis one one and Genesis one two, which, of course, we refer to as the gap theory. I don't believe there's any scriptural basis for that. And but but nevertheless, some of those ideas are still holding on today, and some people still ascribe to those ideas. And the thing that has always really disappointed me about those attempts to do that is they're not grounded in any scripture. Really, they're, they're grounded in the exact opposite. Usually when someone is doing that, what they are saying most, most of the time is that they have looked at scripture and decided that it's too complicated or too conflicting. And so they've just kind of given up. And so they came up with another explanation that wasn't rooted in scripture. And what the apologetics side of things does is it says, no, we just need to dig a little bit deeper and we will find an adequate explanation for these things. And so the first thing I want to do is look at the genealogies in Genesis chapters 5 and 11. So if you want to open your Bibles to there, um, 
you know, some people would make the argument, they'd say, well, doesn't the New Testament say in at least two locations that we're not to uh, dispute genealogies and, and waste our time arguing about genealogies? Well, that's true. Paul said that to both Timothy and Titus. But you've got to look at that a little bit deeper. Paul was not saying that genealogies are irrelevant or that they should never be used. If that were the case, then why do we have them? You know, I, one of the things I appreciate about Pastor Largent is as he's going through the Bible and he comes across some of these chapters where some of these things are included. He doesn't just skip over them. He goes ahead and reads them because I believe that every single word of the Bible is important. I believe in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is profitable. And Paul clearly believed that. If you look at the two passages of scripture where Paul was making the argument or was encouraging Timothy and Titus not to argue about genealogies or dispute about genealogies, he also told them not to dispute about the law. Well, obviously, he was not telling them not to talk about the law at all because he did. That was basically the whole basis of his letter to the Galatians was an exposition on the law. So that clearly wasn't what he was saying. What he was saying was, don't waste your time disputing with false teachers about these things. He wasn't saying that they weren't important. I believe they're very important. But let's look at Genesis chapter 5. And uh, the, the one thing that a lot of times people fail to point out when they're, they're trying to make the assertion that you can insert genealogies in these genealogies that don't exist, is you know, they're saying that there's missing gaps in the genealogies. Well, one thing that they, they, almost, they always fail to point out, because if they did, they would find their argument is impossible to believe, is these are not just genealogies, they're chronologies. We're not just given the name of one generation to the next generation. We're given a number of years that, it act, that actually occurred from one generation to another generation. So for you to read these genealogies and read that Adam was the father of Seth, uh, maybe you could say that there were three or four or, or a thousand other generations in there. If the Bible didn't tell you that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, I don't know how anybody can possibly make the assertion that there are missing genealogies when the, when the years are given. The, the years are given as to how old the person was when the next generation was born, and the years are given as to how long that person lived. So to me, the, those arguments are completely baseless, and they don't ever point that out. And I believe that the, and one of the things that makes these genealogies completely unique from the other genealogies in the Bible is the other genealogies, once you get past the first 2,000 years, once you get past the time of creation up until about the time of Moses, is you don't see those years included in those other genealogies. Well, they're no longer necessary at that point. There is no shortage of secular history to support the fact that the Exodus occurred in 1447 B.C. or that David was king 1000 B.C. or Solomon was king about that same time period. You can look up in your encyclopedia and they'll have the exact dates in there that usually you'll find right in your Bible. So there's really no, there's no argument about that. That evidence has not been destroyed. Much of it exists. But if you was to go back and try to find evidence that, it, that existed prior to the flood, well, of course there wouldn't be any because it would have been destroyed in the flood, which is exactly why God has given us this account through Moses to let us know how long, how long of a time period has transpired, has transpired from creation up until that time. Uh, these genealogies, if you, if you look at them in Genesis chapter 5, uh, they, 
they go from one generation to the next and they tell you exactly how old the father was when the son was born. Well, one of the things you'll notice if you look at this Bible chronology is that within the first 20 lines or so of this chronology, there is an extra line inserted periodically that says one year to account for the months lived after the exact year of each man. Well, that makes perfect and logical sense. Let me give you a, let me give you a practical illustration of that. If I was to tell you that my father was 25 years old when I was born, and I was 31 years old when my daughter Dabri was born, you, would, you, know, you, wouldn't, you couldn't conclude that my dad was 56 when my daughter was born. He was 57. My dad was 25 and a half when I was born, and I was 31 and a half when my daughter was born. So my dad was 57. Well, see, the same thing would be true in the cases of these genealogies, you couldn't go down to the exact year. We're not given the years, months, and days that these people were when the next generation was born. We're only given the years. And the reason I point that out is because if you look throughout Scripture and you add up all the years that are given throughout the Bible, you come to exactly 3,993 years from the time of creation until the death of Christ. Now, if you insert those other seven years, which, again, makes perfect sense to do so, as you see they've done throughout these first 20 generations, that's where you come up with exactly 4,000 years from the time of creation until the death of Christ. It's interesting. It's always interesting that we count time on our calendar from the birth of Christ. But in the Bible, the death of Christ was a much more significant event than the birth of Christ. If we, had, if we were counting time from the death of Christ, we'd be in the 1970s. We wouldn't be in the year 2004. And that's what the, the Bible chrono chronology shows, is that there was actually 4,000 years from creation up until the death of Christ. And so we have not yet reached 2,000... We know that. We haven't yet reached 2,000 years since the death of Christ. Our calendar is based on the birth of Christ. So to, to me, that, that's, that's very important in understanding the accuracy of this Bible or this, this chronology. Um, also, there are other... Yes? Most people don't believe it is. You'd probably have, yeah, most people believe, that's why usually if you look up in an encyclopedia or a dictionary, you'll see that they say Christ was born in 3 or 4 B.C. Because, and the reason for that is because they didn't actually start keeping track of time initially. You know, it was several hundred years after the, de the death of Christ when people were beginning to ask, how long has it been? And so it was actually the leaders of the Catholic Church that went back and tried to figure out how long it had been since Christ was born. And now most scientists believe very clearly that they were wrong, that they miscalculated, and that they were off by about three or four years. And that's why you almost always see, you probably have something in your Bible that shows that Jesus Christ was born in 3 or 4 B.C. And if that were the case, and that very may, may very well be, then we would just take the end of this chronology and we'd shift it four years. So we would actually be in the year 2008. And, and that's, you know, that's very common also. I didn't want to get into that for the purposes of this class because I figured that would probably lead to a lot of a lot of other questions that I really didn't you know really didn't have time to, to answer but uh, but yeah that's a good point and and but you know really that doesn't change anything that doesn't change anything 
from the perspective that there were 4,000 years according to the biblical evidence from creation until the death of Christ. All that illustrates is that we have not counted properly since the birth of Christ. So, yeah, we, we could actually be in the year 2008 if, if most scientists believe uh, that have studied, studied the solar system that clearly we're off and it, and it really should be about the year 2007 or 2008. So that, that's a good point. The other thing that, that even authenticates the record that we have in Genesis, besides the fact that we're given the years, the ages at the time of death and the ages of the birth, is the fact that uh, in, in the book of Jude, Jude says Enoch, the seventh from Adam. So here, clearly Jude was assuming a literal interpretation of the book in Genesis and assuming that, that what it says is really, you know, what you think it means is really what it does mean. Um, and then, you know, just kind of go back to the point about the, the uh, you know, if you, if you add up all of the years in those genealogies, like I said, you have to insert an additional year every two or three generations. That, that makes sense, again, from the example that I told you. But also, uh, who would actually believe that all of these men gave birth to the, their son on their birthday? <laughs> that would be ridiculous. And so that's why it, it makes sense that, you know, there, there's a, a little bit of a lapse of time there. Anyway, before I go on to the uh, before I go on to the next one, though, I mean, does anyone have any any other questions or comments about that? Well, actually, the next thing that I was going to look at, I think, is, is what most people consider to be the most troublesome, and that is the, the amount of time that was spent in Egypt. <laughs> but, uh, yes, Bill. Yeah. Right. Well, there... And, and some people question, you know, was Methuselah really 969? And, and I believe, without a doubt, that he was. Is, is that your question? Or is that the objection that no, you're... I'm saying there's, there's a year, there's a year off that goes by the way that they, they children, that I, they were like a year at birth or something. They gave, oh. Yeah, like I said, I, I think you find some of that just in the fact, I think that's kind of what I was saying along the lines of the fact that you can insert this other year every two or three because we're not given the months and days. So um, the, same, the same thing would be true, for instance, it, you know, here's an example of, of how sometimes when you look at this chronology, you have to remember even on this chronology that I've given you, there's no months and days. So these are very round numbers. And, and the, the way to illustrate that is, is look at it this way. If I said how long... How long of a period of time has gone by from, uh, from 2002 to 2004? Well, a lot of people would have a lot of different answers. Think about it. January 1st, 2002 to December 31st, 2004 is three full years. December 31st, 2002 to January 1st, 2004 is one year and two days. But that's what I said. So when you round off to the year, those are the kinds of issues that, that really people have to be considerate of in order to, to understand how this works. For instance, 
If, if you were studying the 69 or the 70 weeks of the prophecy that Daniel took, that period of time goes from November 444 BC up until April, which is when they believe Christ was crucified, April of the year 33 AD. So you're not getting the full year of 33 and you're not getting the full year of 444 BC. And so that's, and that's why, there, and I, I, that's one of the areas that I'm not going to get into. I don't know that it's really very much disputed anyway, but uh, scientists have calculated that literally they can calculate down the 70 weeks of Daniel down to the exact day. I mean, they can tell you that November 17th, 444 BC started that whole thing, and it, in April 6th, 33 AD was the end of 173,880 days, which is 483 prophetical years. So you just have to keep that in mind that those, you know, those, these, are, these are round numbers. These are round numbers on this chart. But, but you know, Paul's question is, is a good one because I wanted to get to that, and that is the, the one thing that, that really seems to present the biggest obstacle is, is uh, the, the amount of time that they spend in Egypt. And we're going to look at that, and we're going to, that's why I really appreciate these, these apologetics books and materials that are on this because, to me, they, they make the case perfectly clear but I struggled for years to understand exactly how long that time period was because I, I, I hadn't dug deep enough into scripture and then once I did that I was able to, to figure out that they all do harmonize if you can open your Bibles to two places and they're on the opposite extremes Exodus chapter 12 verse 40 and Galatians 3.17 we'll look at the amount of time that they spent in Egypt and then also along with those two sections of scripture if you can refer to this Bible chronology Exodus 12.40 and Galatians 3.17 you know because the question always comes up sometimes in the Bible it says that the a period of time that was related to the the affliction or the oppression of, in Egypt was 400 years. Other places it says 430. Other people say, no, there's no way, it, it's 215. Some people pay, say it's 645. Well, which is it? Well, again, I, I want to remind you, because even if, even if we don't have time to get as deep into it as we want to here in this class, which I hope we do, you can take this Bible chronology and there is, a, there is a verse of scripture on every single one of these lines that are within that time period that will make it absolutely clear what the answer is. If we look at um, Exodus 12.40, it says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Now we turn over to Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Now what Paul is saying here clearly is that from the time of God's promise to Abraham to the time the law was given was 430 years. That's what Paul's saying here. And so then when you go back to Exodus chapter 12, 
if you read that carefully, is it really saying that they were in Egypt for 430 years? I would say no. I would say no. Look at it this way. Notice where those two commas are. You could just take out who dwelt in Egypt. Or you could put that in parentheses. It doesn't say that the sojourn, it doesn't say that the time they spent in Egypt was 430 years. It says the sojourn was 430 years. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I could take that same sentence and apply it to my family vacation that I just took. I could say, now the vacation of the Nelson family, which was in Montana, was 14 days. Now I'm not saying that we spent all 14 days in Montana. We spent the first two days in South Dakota. I'm simply saying as a side note, that's where the vacation was spent. It doesn't imply that it was all spent there. It, it's, it's literally saying the sojourn was 430 years. It's saying the children of Israel dwelt in Egypt, but it does, you know, if you took out those two words who dwelt, which what the New King James Version does, it says now the sojourning of the children of Israel in Egypt, no commas, was 430 years. I think that's correct. I looked at it when I was at home. I don't have one here. but And several other translations did that. But the, the other thing that, that we know, let, let's look at it this way. And uh, again, I'm not going to go to all these verses of Scripture because we don't have time, but you have every one of those verses of Scripture on this chart. And that is, let's say, it, let's break down the 430 years. We know that Abraham was 75 years old when God made the promise to him. We all know that. Genesis 12.4 tells us that. No, no doubt. We know that Abraham was 100 years old when, I, when Isaac was born. So there's the first 25 years of the 430 years. We know that Isaac was 60 years old when Jacob was born. We, there's a verse of scripture on the chart that tells you that. So now you're up to 800, or 85 years since the time the promise was made to Abraham to the time Jacob was born. We also know that Jacob was 130 years old exactly when he went to Egypt. Genesis, that's Genesis chapter 47. So now you're at 215 years, which is exactly half of the 430 years. That's the time from the promise to Abraham to the time Jacob took his whole family down to Egypt. So now we're left with the other 215 years. Well, here's how we know that the amount of time in Egypt was 215 years. It could not have been 400 or even 430. The genealogy in Exodus chapter 6, again, lets you know that there are only four generations of people that live from the time of Levi up until Moses, and were given the ages of those people when they died. And so even if every one of those people, if all four of those people had, had actually given had actually fathered the child of the next generation on the very last day of their life, you can't even come close to 400 years. You can't even come close. So then, then you, that's why, and, and that really shouldn't surprise us because Paul's telling us right in Galatians 3.17 the 430 years was from the beginning, was from the promise to Abraham until the law was given. So the time in Egypt was 215 years. And, that, and one of the things that you'll notice if you look on this... Uh, this chronology is that Kohath, who was the son of Levi, was born in Canaan. He was already alive. He went with grandfather Jacob to Egypt when they ran out of food. 
He was already alive. So it's, it's because of things like that that we know that Kohath was already alive before they ever went to Egypt. And so just for those three generations from Kohath to Amram to Moses was the only length of time that existed while they were there in Egypt. And Moses, we know how old Moses was. We have no shortage of scriptures that tell us that. We know he was 120 years old when he died. We know he was 80 when he began to lead the people out. We know he was 40 when he left Egypt and went to Midian for 40 years. So we, we, we know all of that. So that's one of the things I really appreciate about these apologetics websites, or, or you know, in these books, these, these materials that, that people have gone to all the trouble to research. People will raise a contradiction or an apparent contradiction. They'll say, oh, there's no way, and th this and that. And, and if you really dig into scripture, you'll find that these things really do make sense. The other side, I guess, I wanted to address the 400 years also. That's the, that's the addressing of the 430 years. But then there's also two verses of scripture that um, specifically say 400 years instead of 430. And that's Genesis 15:13 and Acts 7, 6. And those are explainable also. If you look at Genesis 15, 13, some people say, well, why does it say 400 years instead of 430? You know, and, and a simple explanation that sometimes people will give, well, they rounded. No, no, they didn't round. Uh, they would say the same thing about Stephen when he was given his sermon in the book of Acts. They would say, why did he say 400 instead of 430? Like Paul or like, like Moses. No, he didn't round. If you look at those two verses of Scripture, you see very specifically, and it's illustrated here on this, on this chronology, both of those Scriptures were referring specifically to Abraham's seed. That means from Isaac onward. And so if you take out the 25 years out of the 430... You come down to 405 years, and some people say, oh, that's close enough. Well, no, you can get closer than that. Because if you look in Genesis chapter 1, or Genesis chapter 21, let's turn there. Uh, Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. It says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Now, Paul, in, in the book of Galatians chapter 4, there's a, there's a long section of verses there. I think it's from about verse 18 down to 29 or 30 speaks to this very event. And Paul says that the weaning of Isaac was the significant time period that occurred. It was that event when Abraham made this great feast was when the promises of God were literally transferred and confirmed in Isaac from Abraham. And so most people believe he was about five years old at this time. That's not uncommon. I mean, if you look back over, over historical history, Children were not weaned at a year or two like they are now. I mean, they, they just, you, you know, they, they nursed their mothers for a lot longer period of time. And, and we could dig into exactly what the word wean means. But, but regardless, we know that this event was not, uh, uh, we know this event was not at the immediate birth of Isaac. 
This was a period of years later. You know, some people say, well, you wean somebody at two or three or four, five. Most people believe it's five years. And so you're down to the exact number of years, which is 400, that, that, that Stephen is referring to in the book of Acts, saying 400 years from the time God's promises were confirmed in the seed of Abraham, which was Isaac, until the law was given, or until the children of Israel exited Exodus, that's your 400 years. And you see that on that chronology. And, and again, if you look at Galatians chapter 4, you see that Paul goes into a big long spiel there. And, and his whole point is, is that this time period when Isaac was weaned was the significant time. He, sa he, he says the battle was between the flesh and the spirit. And he, he says Ishmael is the, is the flesh. And Isaac is the spiritual seed. And so that's, that's the significance. And so, again, there's, there's no contradiction there. Both the passages of Scripture that say 430 years are referring to the amount of time that literally passed from the time the promise was made to Abraham until the, the law was given. The 400 years are from the time the, the covenant was confirmed in Isaac at this, at this great feast until the, the exodus of, of Egypt. And so there's no contradiction there. The other thing that... Uh, that those verses of Scripture refer to in, uh, you know, some people would say, well, what about the sojourn? Well, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. This verse says, or let's start with verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now again, you have right there a specific reference to Abraham's sojourning. In other words, even he wasn't really ever considered to have had a permanent home while he was here on earth. Even though the promise was given that he was going to have the promised land, he never really actually built a permanent dwelling. He sojourned. They dwelt in tents. And so it's not a stretch in any way to see that the sojourning that is referred to in Exodus 1240 is actually referring to the sojourn of the entire picture from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to Moses. Um, you know, the other thing that, that's interesting to point out is that most of you who have a study Bible, if you look down below Exodus 1240, you'll see probably a note there that says the Septuagint, the Samaritan Pentateuch, all kinds of manuscripts actually say that the sojourn of the children of Israel, which was 430 years, was in Egypt and Canaan. Exodus 1240 actually says that in most manuscripts. Now, in, in this King James Bible, it doesn't. And I don't even have a problem with that, but I'm saying that you don't even have to go there in order to see, because of the two commas that are present in that verse, that it's not specifically saying the 430 years were entirely all spent in Egypt. I don't think you even have to go there. Anyway, does anybody have any questions about that or comments about, uh, about that? I mean, as far as the length of time in Egypt...
Right, Babylonian captivity. Right, exactly. If the prophecies then were accurate, those yet to be fulfilled would therefore have the same credibility. Right. You know, and then the other the other argument that someone may make with regard to that same four hundred year time period is they'll say, now, in Acts seven six and in Genesis fifteen thirteen, didn't it specifically say that that the that the people were going to be oppressed for four hundred years and afflicted for four hundred years? Well, they were. That doesn't mean they were afflicted and oppressed for every single day and every single month and every single year of those 400 years, you couldn't even make that argument about the time they spent in Egypt. I mean, if you, if you go back to Genesis chapter 46, when Jacob went down to Egypt, when he was 130 years old, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to support an argument in any way that they were in hard bondage the entire time they were there. No, Jacob went down there when he was 130, and it says that Pharaoh, because of the status of Joseph, gave Jacob... Anything he wanted. They gave him the best land. They picked out the land of Goshen. That's where they went. They spent their time here. Jacob lived another 17 years until he was 147 in Egypt. Those 17 years, certainly his family was not in bondage. They were not afflicted. They were not oppressed in any way. They were given the fat of the land, as Genesis says, to live off. It, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, that it was later on... When Joseph died, and the, and the Pharaoh that was alive when Joseph died, a new Pharaoh arose, and it was at that time that they were pressed into hard bondage and, and what is referred to in the book of Exodus as rigorous bondage. So even if, even if you did want to apply the, all of the time spent in, in Egypt, you still couldn't claim that the verses of Scripture that refer to the oppression and the affliction were, were, were literally saying that that was going to last for every single year that they were there. And, and another way to look at that is that those scriptures are very accurate because the, uh, the, the Israelites, the, the, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, even before they went to Egypt, they had many run-ins with the Egyptians. They encountered many problems. I mean, literally from day one. Look, look what happened there in Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. When Isaac was weaned and they had this feast immediately, the trouble starts with Ishmael, who, by the way, is half Egyptian. And then... Hagar goes and gets Ishmael, an Egyptian wife. And then we, we know even before that, Abraham went down to Egypt and had problems where he had to lie and tell everybody that his wife was his sister. Isaac had to do the same thing when he went down to Egypt. He had to lie and tell everybody that his wife was really his sister. There, there was no shortage of, of things that occurred during the first 215 years or during the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that, could, that was certainly referred to as oppression and affliction. And there are many New Testament verses of Scripture that even refer to it that way. That the time that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob spent in the promised land was not without trouble. So it's very easy to see that the, the time of affliction and oppression literally did occur to that entire 400 years, which spread across both the first half, which was in Canaan, and the second half, which was in Egypt. Um, the troubles that uh, Jacob had with Esau, who had married Hittite wives, is just another example of the affliction that the descendants of Abraham experienced while they were actually in that land of Canaan. Um, one thing you'll notice on that chronology is I didn't include a lot of evidence in there to support the... Um, I didn't throw in the date of all of the judges and all of the kings... That's absolutely unnecessary. I mean, I could have. I wanted to keep it to one page. 
I could have. But the reason that's not necessary is because if you look down, I, I at least put in there that if you look down on, on the chronology down at uh, 14, yeah, 967. Most people, a lot of you are familiar with 1 Kings 6 1. Uh, where it says that Solomon begins his fourth year as king, 480 years after the Exodus. That, that makes it perfectly clear right there how much time has gone by. But yet, if you wanted to, you could go through the book of Judges and, uh, and pinpoint the exact times when those judges actually reigned. Uh, that, by the way, that's another, another area of apologetics that sometimes people refer to. They'll say, now, if you go through the book of Judges and and you add up all the number of years that are quoted, it's more than could possibly have fit into that 480 years. You know, and that's true. Because you can't add them all up. If, if, actually, we'll, we'll just take a minute and go there, and I'll show you this. If you turn to the book of Judges, chapter... Uh, let's see. You go to Judges, chapter 13... There's a kind of a pattern that runs through the book of Judges. And that is this. It'll say that the children of Israel were wicked and, and God turned them over to the Midianites or the Canaanites or the Amorites or the Philistines. And they were persecuted for 20 years or they were afflicted for 40 years. And then God raised up a judge and delivered them and they had rest for 20 years. And you kind of see that pattern over and over, you know, 40 years of affliction, 20 years of, of rest. 20 years of oppression, 40 years of rest. But you can't add all of those periods up simultaneously. And I'll show you from, Genesis, or from Judges 13 and 14 uh, a prime example of that. If you look at Judges chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. Then if you jump over to Judges chapter... 14 verse 4 actually let's go first to chapter 15 verse 20 this is in reference to Samson it says and he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years now you wouldn't you wouldn't conclude that Samson's 20-year period of being the judge of Israel followed the 40 years of the oppression that they were experiencing at the hand of the Philistines. Just from this verse alone, it says, he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines. But we have even two more evidences just within this story of Samson that, 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 that those two time periods are overlapping. If you back up to chapter 14, verse 4, it says, But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time, this is the time while Samson is judging Israel, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. That verse right there tells you that the 40 years when the Philistines were afflicting and oppressing the Israelites was, was, was the same as, the, as some of the 20 years that Samson was the judge. If you jump over to uh, chapter 15, verse 11. Samson's own people. It says, Then three thousand men of Judah went to the top of the rock Edom and said to Samson, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? 
Again, it's perfectly clear that Samson's 20 years are within, in an overlapping time period, within the 40 years when the Philistine oppression occurred. So you can't go through the book of Judges and add up all of these periods of time and then just say, well, it adds up to 500 years and, and 1 Kings 6.1 says there was only 480 years from the time of the Exodus until the fourth year of Solomon's reign. You can't do that. And th this makes it very clear. So there, there are no discrepancies. So we've only got a couple of minutes, but uh, yeah, any more questions? Because they haven't really looked at the evidence in, in as much detail as, as really they could. I mean, they're just, you, you can never convince me that the earth is even 6,000 years old. Because I, I just, like you said, you go right down that chart, there's a verse of scripture to support every single position on there that would say that we, we're, not, we're not even 6,000 years old yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, the kids would call me over when we're in the Grand Teton. Dad, look at this. Six million years ago. It just, we just go through the Bible and just tell them it's all conjecture. There's no, no evidence for it. There's just, I mean, you know, if you ever want to refute evolution, uh, you know, you, you have to take a literal interpretation here of the account of creation. Uh, I, I, you know, sometimes you can just... Kind of like Paul said, you can argue till you're blue in the face, but if, if someone's not going to accept the Bible as historical fact. By the way, when I was, when I was doing some of this research, one of the things that, that I thought was neat was that a lot of the people that actually spend their lives on these, uh, uh, writing these books for apologetics and people who work at the Institute for Creation Research, these were all skeptics. A lot of them were skeptics who didn't believe anything. And when they dug in and literally tried to study the Bible in as much detail as they did, that's when they came to the conclusion, boy, the Bible is 100% historically accurate, let alone a spiritual guide. And so I thought that was neat that, that a lot of the people who are the proponents of this were the ones who were arguing the most against it at first. Yeah. 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 Mount St. Helens is a good example that they use quite a bit. You know, another example that they did, I, th I think, at the creation or the Institute for Creation Research, was they they took a rock and split it in four and sent it to four different places all over the world and, and said how old it was, and they got four completely different answers. I mean, one was a thousand, one was a minute, and, and it's it's not difficult to do that. I mean, it, there's just so much guesswork out there, and, and you, have to, you have to recognize it as guesswork. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't square with what the Bible says, then, then reject it. Probably about out of time. We've only got about eight minutes. Yeah. 